2012 was the warmest year in our history. Midwest farms were parched by the worst drought since the Dust Bowl and then drenched by the wettest spring on record. Western wildfires. So back when President Barack Obama was pushing his climate initiatives, green energy subsidies, negotiating the Paris Agreement, remember those days? Well, his administration also had a climate plan for health care. It was 2014, and the Department of Health and Human Services, the highest health care authority in the land, put out a plan to protect American hospitals and Americans from climate change. And it was comprehensive. It called on the Centers for Disease Control to study climate-linked diseases and pandemics. It called on the National Institutes of Health to identify and protect populations most at risk from storms, wildfires, and heat islands. There was a plan for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to make preparing for natural disasters a requirement for federal funding. If your hospital wants federal money, you gotta play ball. And then... In 2016, it all went dark. All of this with the global warming and that, and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? It's a hoax. We invested in a solar company, our country. That was a disaster. A windmill will kill many bald eagles. It's true. And you know what? The Trump administration undid almost all of that progress. It killed that plan, and HHS in the Trump era did put out its own sustainability plan in 2020. But it reads like an email you might get from HR. It's short, and the strongest statement it makes on greenhouse gas emissions just encourages its employees to carpool. But why is it okay for these windmills to destroy the bird population? And that's what they're doing. I'll tell you another thing about But now the U.S. is back in the climate fight. And for health and human services, climate change is back on the agenda with a brand new climate office, the Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. Can they help gear up American health care for climate change? Is it too late? The answer is we'll see. From Health Affairs, this is The Earth Disease, a podcast exploring health policy in the climate crisis. I'm Jared Downing, and our fourth and final episode goes to the very top. We'll look at the Department of Health and Human Services, what it can do, what it should do. I speak with the head of the new Office of Climate Change and Health Equity and ask him if American healthcare really stands a chance at protecting us from the greatest threat to human health of the century. Almost anything remotely health-related falls into the HHS basket. And it's a big basket. Its budget for 2021 was almost $1.4 trillion. That's almost double the budget for defense. The Centers for Disease Control are under HHS. So are the National Institutes of Health, the Food and Drug Administration, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Surgeon General's office is in there. It has offices for minority health, for women's health, and human rights. And finally, late last year, it got a designated climate change office, the new Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. And back in episode one, I had a conversation with Dr. Ashish Shah, who at the time was the dean of the Brown School of Public Health. Now he's the COVID-19 response coordinator and counselor to President Biden, all around celebrity healthcare guy. And I asked him straight out if this episode is worth doing. If HHS and the federal government really have that big of a role in preparing American healthcare for climate change. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think states have a role to play as well, but states la- rarely lead on policies like this. I mean, sometimes big states like California can, but most of the times national problems like this really need the national coalition and national effort. And HHS is really ideally designed and well-situated to do that. I put the same question to another expert, Dr. Howard Frumkin. I think that's true. And if anybody has any doubt about the truth of that statement, just look at our response to COVID over the last year and a half. The the fractionated and uncoordinated nature of the response has led to some of the chaos and to some of the unnecessary deaths that we've seen. Howard Frumkin really knows what he's talking about. He's a professor emeritus of environmental and occupational health sciences at the University of Washington School of Public Health. He directed the National Center for Environmental Health. He's also written several books. Similarly, there is a sort of a body of technical expertise, and there is a set of regulatory levers, all of which the federal government could implement. Basically, like most arms of the federal government, HHS has these powers that can cut through the whole system from the top down. Here's Dr. Jia again. The policy changes can almost all come from HHS, that HHS has all the levers to drive improvements, resilience, change in this area. And they have a lot of levers. So HHS can get stuff done and are going to need to if we're going to address basically any of the problems we've covered in this series. So what exactly are its levers for climate change? What are those carrots and sticks HHS can use to get state and local health systems and private hospitals to do it at once? For Dr. Jha, one strong start could be through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. The biggest lever they have is payment policy through Medicare and conditions of participation for Medicare hospitals. A big chunk of that more than $1 trillion budget goes to CMS. The office just pays for a lot of health care, which gives it a lot of leverage over providers. At its most extreme, I mean, it's not even that extreme. They could say, hey, if you don't commit to a you know, X percent reduction in your carbon emission or, or some target, you can't participate in the Medicare program. There is no hospital, very, very few hospitals in America could survive without participating in the Medicare program. This isn't just speculation. That 2014 plan I mentioned, it called for exactly these kind of requirements. And CMS has used that sort of tactic before. In the 1960s, it leveraged Medicaid funding to push hospitals to desegregate. When Medicare was first implemented, that required hospitals to desegregate if they were to receive Medicare funding. That was such a powerful lever that American hospitals essentially desegregated overnight. So that's something HHS can do. But will they? And what else can they do? Well, I had a chance to ask them myself. Mr. Arsenio Mataka is the head of the new Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. He spoke with me, and the first thing I ask him is, what is this new climate office going to do? Is it mainly a research gathering body? Oh, oh, um, no. <laughs> that, that would be a mistake because um, a primary research function leaves out the importance of action. No, this office will be focused on action. You know, it, it, it covers the whole spectrum. It's from you know, guidance and policy to regulatory actions. And I would say that, you know, everything is on the table, but everything is on the table for action. So it's an action-oriented office. 
And you can see for yourself on the office's website, it has a number of mandates, and they range from helping the sector to decarbonize to identifying climate-related health disparities. And as for the Medicaid funding tactic, whether the office would work with CMS and make climate action a requirement for federal funding, Mantaka didn't say it wasn't going to happen. I'll tell you what the secretary said to that question. Everything's on the table. And when he said that, he meant it. On the other hand... Mataka says the office is not just going to come out swinging with that kind of heavy-handed regulatory action. First, because it just takes a long time to get that kind of thing moving. And second, because HHS has a lot of carrots to use before it starts reaching for the regulatory sticks, so to speak. You know, jumping straight to the regulatory action, you know, maybe seen as more as a last resort. There are already a number of climate programs within the department. The NIH has its action collaborative on decarbonizing the healthcare sector. The CDC has a lot of stuff going on. There's also a low-income energy assistance program, or LIHEAP. It helps people weatherize their homes and pay for their energy bills, one of those social determinant programs we discussed last episode. In, in the case of LIHEAP, you could um, potentially, and this is what we did, they wrote a, a dear colleague letter to the recipients, the states, and said, hey, you have this money, we give it to you. Um, here are all the things that you could pay for with this money in addition to energy assistance, air conditioners, um, cooling centers, um, all these things that would help people deal with this, you know, ex this extreme events, right? So, so far, people have been telling me that the healthcare sector is really slow to acknowledge climate change as a healthcare issue at all. But Mataka seems a little more optimistic. I would like to hear from the people who don't think climate change is going to have an impact on health. I would, I would, I would like to speak to them. I think there's broad acknowledgement. I mean, you know, we just we're part of the National Academy of Medicine, Medicine's Action Collaborative to decarbonize the healthcare sector, where it brings together supply chain, insurance carriers, um, facilities, health systems leaders, throughout the academia, um, throughout the whole sector. They're coming together because they're trying to decarbonize the healthcare sector because they understand it's a problem and it has reach. Everybody, I think now, hopefully should understand that we need to move. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we're in a different point of time where there was an actual question that we have to do something. And now there's no question. As a now 18 year old, um, young lady from Sweden tells us, you know, the time for talk is over and the time for actions now. So this climate office is up and running. And I asked Howard Frumkin what HHS's number one priority should be now. Should it be better research? Should it be decarbonizing the sector? Should it be leveraging Medicaid funding? And he said basically everything. No, I would have about four or five number ones. Number one, would be, number one would be more research on climate change and health at NIH. Number one would be more action on climate change preparedness uh, through CDC, filtering down to state, local, and tribal health departments. Number one would also be reimbursement policies at CMS so that we can green the healthcare system. And number one would be HHS outreach to a number of other federal departments so that we get the infrastructure plans uh, right. We do those in a healthy way. All of those are my number ones. 
If American healthcare is going to be able to do anything about the climate crisis, it's going to need strong leadership from the highest level. In the first episode, we talked about how we need stronger research into the health impacts of climate change, and the National Institutes of Health can help fill those gaps, help draw strong smoking gun connections between climate change and health outcomes. CDC needs to create frameworks and preparedness plans for local health systems to prepare for those outcomes. We also talked about how climate change will cause more pandemics. That's in the purview of the CDC. The CDC can create frameworks and preparedness plans for local health systems to prepare for those outcomes. CMS needs to leverage its funding to push those health systems to actually take action. FDA needs to regulate the pharmaceutical industry to be more efficient and lower emissions. This whole effort has to be more than the sum of its parts. And it needs every single part working together. So the very first person I spoke with for this project was Dr. Aaron Bernstein of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can hear him in other episodes. And when I called him for the first time, he had no idea who I was, and I had no idea where this project was going to go. I, I didn't know if climate change and healthcare was even a big enough issue for a whole series. But Dr. Bernstein said, no, climate change is the biggest issue in healthcare right now. He put it like this, the Titanic is sinking, and the healthcare sector is out there arranging deck chairs. Climate change touches every part of healthcare in the whole world. I mean, we focused on the United States in this series, but poor countries in the global south are really going to bear the brunt of this thing. And this isn't a matter of stopping global warming. That is already happening. People are already getting sick and dying right now. Which means the healthcare sector has to take action right now. And it has to scale up and standardize the strong action that is already being taken. It means a widespread recognition of climate change not just as an economic or environmental problem, but as a healthcare problem. That means leadership from the very top, from the U.S. government and other governments and from the U.N. It's also going to take leadership from doctors and administrators on the ground, from people like Ed Gerber at the Leston Act Free Clinic, and carbon reduction plans from entities like the Gunderson Health System. It's going to mean hospitals and providers doing what Boston Medical Center has done, rethinking what they owe their communities and foregoing some short-term profit margins in favor of long-term health investments. And honestly, I know this series has been sort of doom and gloom at times, but there's a lot of good work being done, and I'm actually optimistic. I believe that if we can work together and act now, healthcare can save a lot of lives and maybe come out of this thing in one piece. I'm Jared Downing. Thanks for listening to The Earth Disease. Be well. To state the obvious, it's simple. Will we act? We know that none of us can escape the worst that's yet to come if we fail to seize this moment. So let this be the moment that we answer history's call. We can do this. We just have to make a choice to do it.